this is Nile and welcome to Greek mythology with Nile. This is the podcast where I, Nile, crazy lover of Greek mythology, tell you more about it. So well in today's episode I will be telling you about the rule of Cronus. There will be a lot of other versions about the stories which I'll be telling you. But these are the versions which make most sense to me. So and then the stories will be in a lot of detail. Well then So, let's take a recap of what we had done in the last episode. We learned that uh, how Gaia and uh, Uranus were formed through chaos and then how their relationship started and then how it got it how it got worse and then they had a lot of self kids which was the 12 titans and the elder cyclops and the 100-handed ones and all that. And then fights started breaking out between them. Uranus became grumpy, and then how Gaia told her children to that who will step up to kill Uranus, and then Cronus did it. And now it's time for his rule. Cronus was not bad at first. He had to work his way up to being a complete slime bucket. He released the Elder Cyclops and the Hundred-Handed Ones from Tartarus, which made Gaia happy. The monstrous guys turned out to be useful too. They spent all their time in the abyss learning how to forge metal and build with stone. I guess that's pretty much that all was there to do, I guess. So, in gratitude to their freedom, they constructed a massive palace for Cronus on top of Mount Othyrus, which was back then the tallest mountain in Greece. The palace was made from white black marble. Towering columns and vast halls gleamed in the light of magical torches. Cronus's throne was carved from a solid block of obsidian, inlaid with golden diamonds, which sounds impressive but probably wasn't very comfortable. That didn't matter to Cronus. He could sit there all day surveying the entire world below him, cackling evenly, cackling evilly. Mine, all mine. His five titan brothers and six titan sisters didn't argue with him. They had pretty much staked out their favorite territories already. And besides, after seeing Cronus wield that sight, they didn't want to get on his bad side. So in addition to being king of the cosmos, Cronus also became the titan of time. He could he couldn't pop around the t- he couldn't pop around the time stream like Doctor Who or anything, but he could occasionally make time slow down or speed up whenever you are in an incredibly boring lecture that te- seems to take forever blame cronus and or when your weekend is way too short that's cronus's fault too blame him he was especially interested in the destructive power of time being immortal he couldn't believe what a few short years could do to a mortal life just for kicks He used to travel around the world fast forwarding the lives of trees, plants, animals so that he could watch them wither and die. He never got tired of that. <laughs> As for his brothers, the four who helped with the murder of Uranus were given four corners of the earth, which is weird since the Greeks thought the world was a big flat circle like a shield. So they didn't have corners, but whatever. Crius was the tetan of the south. He took the ram for a symbol since the ram constellation rose in the southern sky. His navy blue armor was silent with the stars. With stars, ram's horns were ram's horns jutted from his helmet. Crius was the dark, silent type. 
He would stand down at the southern edge of the world, watching the constellation and thinking deep thoughts. Or maybe he was just thinking he should have requested a more exciting job, right? Koros, the Titan of the North, lived at the opposite end of the world, obviously. He was sometimes called Polis because he controlled the Northern Pole. This was way before Santa Claus moved in. Koyos was the first Titan to have the gift of prophecy. In fact, Koyos literally means question. He could ask questions out of the sky and sometimes the sky would whisper answers. Creepy. Yes. I don't know if he was communicating with the spirit of Uranus or what, but his glimpses of the future were so useful to other Titans that they asked him burning questions like, What's the weather going to be on Saturday? Is Cronus going to kill me today? What should I wear to Rhea's dance? That kind of thing. Eventually, Coyus would pass on the gift of prophecy to his children. Hyperion, the Titan of the East, was the flashiest of the four. Since the light of the day came from the east every morning, he called himself the Lord of Light. Behind his back, everybody called him Cronus Light because he did whatever Cronus told him and was basically like Cronus with half the calories and none the taste. Anyway, he wore blazing golden armor and was known to burst into flame at random moments which made him fun at parties. His counterpart, Ipatus, was more laid back the being the titan of the west. A good sunset is what always makes you want to kick back and chill. Despite that, you know, you didn't want to get this guy mad at you. He was an excellent fighter who knew how to use a spear. Ipatus, Rhea literally means the piercer, which I'm pretty sure he didn't get that name by doing ear piercings at the mall. As for the last brother, Oceanus, he took charge of the outer waters that circled the world. That's how the big expanses of water bordering the earth came to be called oceans. It could have been worse. If Ipatus had taken over the waters, we'd be talking about the Atlantic Ipet and sailing the Ipet Blue. And that doesn't have the same ring to it. Now before I turn to the six lady titans, let me get some nasty business out of the way. See, eventually the guy started titan talking. Hey, dad had Gaia for a wife. Who are we gonna have uh, for wives? Mm, let's think about it. Then they looked at the lady titans and thought, hmm. I know, like, gross! The brother wanted to marry their own sisters? Yeah, I find that pretty disgusting myself, but here's the thing titans don't see family relationships the same way we do. First off, like I, said, like I said before, the rules of behavior were a lot looser back then. Also, there weren't many choices when it came to marriage partners. You couldn't, you couldn't simply log into titansmatch.com and find your perfect soulmate. More important, immortals are just different from humans. They live forever more or less, they have cool powers, they have icor instead of blood and DNA, so they aren't concerned about bloodlines not mixing well. Because of that, they don't see the whole brother and sister thing in the same way. You and the girl, you might, like, be, have been born in the same mom, but you grew up and you were both adults, you wouldn't necessarily think of her as your sister anymore. That's my theory. Or maybe the Titans were just all freaks. I'll let you decide. Anyway, not all brothers married this, all the sisters, but here's the rundown. The oldest girl was Thea. If you wanted her attention, you had to do was wave something shiny at her face. She loved sparkly things and bright scenic views. Every morning, she would dance with happiness when daylight returned. 
She would climb mountains so that she could see for miles around. She would even delve underground and bring out precious gems, using her magic powers to make them gleam and sprinkle. Tiara, Tiara is the one who gave gold its luster and diamond and made diamonds glitter. She became the titan of clear sight. Because she was all about bright and glittery, she ended up marrying Hyperion, the Lord of Light. As you can imagine, they got along great. How they got to sleep with Hyperion glowing all night and Tia giggling, shiny, shiny. I don't know. Her sister Themis, totally different. She was quiet and thoughtful and never tried to draw attention to herself, always wearing a simple white shawl over her hair. She realized from an early age that she had a natural sense of right and wrong. She understood what was fair and what wasn't. Whenever she was in doubt, she claimed she could draw wisdom straight from the earth. I don't know she meant from Gaia, because Gaia wasn't really hung up on right and wrong. Anyway, Themis had a good reputation among her brothers and sisters. She could meditate even the worst arguments. She became the title of natural law and fairness. She didn't marry any of the, her six brothers, which proves just how wise she was. Her third sister, Tethys. What is that? T e t h y s. I don't know how to pronounce it, and I promise that this is the last T name for the girls because even I am getting confused. She loved rivers, springs, and fresh running water of any kind. She was very kind, offering. Always offering her siblings something to drink, although the others got tired of hearing that an average Titan needs twenty-four glasses of water a day to stay hydrated. At any rate, Thetis thought of herself as the nursemaid of the whole world, since all living beings need to drink. She ended up marrying Oceanius, which was kind of a no-brainer. Hey, you like water too? I like water too. We should totally go out. Phoebe, the fourth sister. Lived right in the geographical center of the world, which for the Greeks meant the Oracle of Delphi, a sacred spring where you could sometimes hear whispers from the future if you knew how to listen. The Greeks called this place Omphalos, literally the belly button of the earth, though they never specified whether it was an inny or an outy. You. Phoebe was one of the first people to figure out how to hear the voices of Delphi. But she wasn't a gloomy, mysterious sort of fortune teller. Her name meant bright, and she always looked on the positive side of things. Her prophecies tended to be like fortune cookies—only good stuff, which was fine, I guess, if you wanted to hear good news. But not so great if you had a serious problem, like if you're gonna die tomorrow. Phoebe might just tell you, um, I I foresee that you won't have to worry about your math test till next week. Phoebe ended up marrying Coeus, the northern dude, because he also had the gift of prophecy. Unfortunately, they saw each other once in a while as they lived very far apart. Bonus fact: Much later, Phoebe's grandson, a guy named Apollo, took over the oracle. Because he inherited her powers, Apollo was sometimes called Phoebus Apollo. Titan sister five was Nemosuine, and men. That was tough. Pretty sure it's pronounced Nemosine. Nemosine. Anyway, Nemosine was born with a photographic memory long before anyone knew what a photograph was. 
Seriously, she remembered everything. Her sister's birthdays, her homework, putting out the garbage, feeding the cats in some ways. That was good. She kept the family records and never forgot anything. But some ways, having her around was a drag because she would never let you forget anything. That embarrassing thing that when you did you were eight years old? Yep, she remembered. I promise you wait three years ago that you would pay back her loan? She remembered. What was worse, Nemo seen expected everybody else to have a good memory too. Just to be helpful, she invented letters in writing so that the rest of us rest of us poor shamaks who didn't have the perfect recall could keep permanent records of everything. She became the titan of memory, especially rote memorization. Next time you have to study for this a spelling test or memorize the capitals of all fifty states for no apparent reason. Thank Nimosin. That kind of assignment was totally her idea. None of the fellow Titans wanted to marry her. Go figure. Finally, there was sister number six, Rhea. Poor Rhea. She was the sweetest and the most beautiful lady of Titans, which of course meant that she had the worst luck and the hardest life. Her name either means flow or ease. Both definitions fit. She always went with the flow, and she totally put people at ease. She would wander the valleys of the earth, visiting her brothers and sisters, talking to the nymphs and stars, etc., etc. She loved animals too. Her favorite was the lion. If you see pictures of Rhea, she almost always had a couple of lions with her, which made it very safe for her to walk around, even in the worst neighborhoods. Rhea became the titan of motherhood. She adored babies and always helped her sisters during their deliveries. Eventually, she would earn the title the Great Mother when she had kids of her own. Unfortunately, she had to get married before any of that happened. And that is how all the trouble started. Okay, but everything was so great. What could possibly go wrong? Well, that's what Earth Mother Gaia thought. She was so pleased to see her kids charge in charge of the world, she decided to sink back down into the earth for a while, just to be, well, the earth. She'd been through a lot. She had 18 kids. She deserved the rest. She was sure Cronus would take care of his of things and be a good king forever and ever. Yeah, right. So she lay down for a quick nap, which in geological terms meant a few millennia. Meanwhile, the Titans started having kids of their own, who were second-generation Titans. Oceanius and Tethys, Mr. and Mrs. Water, had a daughter named Clemene, who became the Titan Goddess of Fame. I'm guessing she was into fame because she grew up in the bottom of the ocean where nothing happened. She was all about gossip and reading the tabloids and catching up on the latest Hollywood news. Or she would have been if Hollywood existed. Like a lot of folks who are obsessed with fame, she headed west. <laughs> she ended up falling for the Titan of the West, Ipatis. I know, he was technically her uncle, but disgusting. As I said before, Titans were different. My advice? Not to think about it too much. Anyway, Ipatis and Clemene had a son named Atlas, who turned out to be an excellent fighter, but also kind of a jerk. When he grew up, he became Cronus's right-hand man and main enforcer. Next, Ipatus and Clemene had a son named Prom Prometheus, who was almost as clever as Cronus. According to some legends, Prometheus invented a minor life form you may have heard of, humans, and it's us! 
One day, he was just messing around at the riverbank, building stuff of wet clay, when he sculpted, sculpted a couple of funny-looking figures similar to titans, only much smaller and easier to smash. Maybe the blood, some blood of Horandus got into the clay, or maybe Prometheus breathed life into the figures of purpose. I don't know, but the clay creatures came to life and became the first two humans. So did Prometheus get a medal for that? Nah. The Titans looked on humans as the way we might look on Gabriels. Some Titans thought humans were kind of cute, though they died awfully quick and they didn't serve any purpose. Other Titans thought they were repulsive rodents. Some Titans didn't pay them any attention at all. As for the humans, they mostly just covered in their caves and scurried around, trying not to get stepped on. The Titans kept having more baby Titans. I won't mention all of them, or we'll be here for as long as Gaia napped. But Coyus and Phoebe, the prophecy couple, had a girl named Leto, who decided she wanted to be the Titan protector of the young. She was the world's first babysitter. All the dad and mom titans were really happy to see her. Hyperion and Thea, Mr. and Mrs. Shiny, had twins named Helios and Selene, who were in charge of the sun and the moon. Makes sense, right? You can't get much shinier than the sun and the moon. Helios would drive the carrier of the sun across the sky every day, even though it got a terrible mileage. Helios thought he looked pretty, pretty hot, and then he had an annoying habit of calling his son, calling the sun his chick magnet. Celine wasn't quite so flashy. She drove her silver moon carrier across the sky at night and mostly kept to herself. Though the one time she did fall in love, it was the saddest story ever. But that's for later. At any rate, one particular titan wasn't getting married or having kids. Namely, Cronus, the lord of the universe. He just sat on the tr- on his throne in the palace of Mount Othyris and got very, very grumpy, watching everyone else have a good time. Remember that Corsoranus warned him about that someday Cronus' own kids would overthrow him? Cronus couldn't get that out of his head. First, he told himself, Well, no biggie, I won't get married or have kids. But it's a pain to be on your own when everyone around you is settling down and starting families. Cronus had earned the throne fair and square, but that curse took all the fun out of chopping up his dad. Now he had to worry about getting overthrown while everyone else got to enjoy the good life on coal. His relatives didn't visit him much anymore. Once Gaia went back into the earth, they stopped coming by the palace for Sunday dinner. They said they were busy, but Cronus suspected that his brothers, sisters, nieces and nephews were simply scared of him. He did have his father's temper and sense of cruelty. His sight was imitating. intimidating. Plus, he had a slightly off-putting tendency to scream, I'll kill you all, whenever someone made him mad. But was that his fault? One morning, he really snapped. He woke up to a cyclops hammering a piece of bronze right outside his bedroom window. Seven in the morning on a weekend? Cronus had promised his mom that he would free the elder cyclops and the hundred-handed ones from Tartarus, and he was real, getting really tired of his ugly relatives. They'd become more and more disgusting as they grew up. They smelled like porta potties. They had like zero personal hygiene and they were constantly making noise, building things, hammering metal, cutting stones. They'd been useful for building the palace, but now they were just annoying. Cronus called Atlas and Hyperion and other of his 
and a couple of his other goons. They rounded up the Cyclops and hunted one, then told them they were going for a nice drive in the country to look at wildflowers. Then they jumped up the poor guys, wrapped them in chains again, and tossed them back to Tartarus. If Gaia woke up, she wouldn't be happy. But so what? Kronos was the king now. Mom would just have to deal with it. Things were much quieter at the palace after that, but Kronos still had a major case in the Grumpies. It wasn't fair that he didn't have a girlfriend. In fact, he had a particular girl in mind. Secretly, he had a crush on Rhea. Yes, the sixth Titan sister. She was gorgeous. Every time the Titan family got together, Kronos stole glances at her. If any of the if you know that any of the other guys flirting with her, he would pull them aside with a, for a private conversation with a scythe in hand and warn them never to do it again. He loved how Rhea laughed. Her smile was brighter than Helios's check magnet. Uh sorry, I mean the sun. He loved the way her dark curly hair swept her shoulders. Her eyes were the green as mellows meadows. Also, Rhea was sweet and kind and everyone loved her. Cronus thought, if I just had a wife like that, my family wouldn't fear me as much. They'd come to the palace more often. Rhea would teach me to be a better titan. Life would be awesome. But another part of him thought, no, I can't get married because of that stupid curse. Cronus grumbled in frustration. He was the king of the freaking universe. He could do whatever he wanted. Maybe Uranus had just been messing with him, and there was no curse. Maybe he would get lucky and he wouldn't have kids. Note to self, if you're trying not to have kids, don't marry a lady who is the titan of motherhood. Cronus tried to restrain himself, but he finally couldn't stand it any longer. He invited Rhea to a romantic dinner and poured out his feelings. He proposed to her on the spot. Now I don't know if Rhea loved the guy or not. If she didn't, I imagine he was too afraid to say so. This was Cronus the Crooked One, after all, the dude who had killed their dad, the king of the freaking universe. It didn't help that the whole time they ate dinner, his scythe was resting on the hook on the wall right beside him, his blade gleaming in candlelight like it was still covered in golden icon. Drea agreed to marry him. Maybe she thought she could make him a better guy. Maybe Cronus believed that too. They had a nice honeymoon. A few weeks later, when Cronus heard that, surprise, surprise, Rhea was expecting their first child, and he tried to convince himself that everything was fine. He was happy. He would never be a bad father like Oranus. It didn't matter if the baby was a boy titan or a boy or a girl titan. Cronus would love him more and forget about that old curse. Yeah, I sang that as a poem. Then the kid was born, a beautiful baby girl. Rhea had, secre- had been secretly worried that her child might turn out to be a cyclops or a hundred-handed one. Maybe Cronus had been worried about that too. But nope, the child was perfect. In fact, the child was a little too perfect. Rhea named her Hezita. She swaddled the baby in her soft blankets and showed her to the pr- to her proud papa. At first, Kruna smiled. The kid was not a monster. Sweet! But as he tickled her chin and looked into her eyes and made the casual cute goo-goo noises, Kruna realized that Zeta wasn't actually a titan. That titan 
She was smaller than a Titan baby, but heavier and perfectly proportioned. Her eyes were much too intelligent for a newborn. She radiated power. With Cronus's understanding of time, he could easily envision what this girl would look like when he grew up. She would be smaller than a Titan, but capable of great things. She could surpass any of the Titans at whatever she chose to do. Zazita was like an improved version of the Titans. Titan 2.0, the next big thing. In fact, she wasn't a Titan at all. She was a goddess, the first member of an entirely new branch of immortal evolution. Looking at her, Cronus felt like an old cell phone staring at the latest model smartphone. He knew his days were numbered. His proud papa smile faded. This kid could not be allowed to grow up. Or the prophecy of Uranus would come true. Cronus had to act fast. He knew Rhea would never agree to have her child killed, but he'd bought those stupid lions with her as usual. He couldn't have a fight in the throne room. Besides, he couldn't reach for the site while holding the baby. He had to get rid of Hazita immediately and irreversibly. So, he opened his mouth. Super, super wide! Wider than he ever realized he could. His lower jaw was hinged like on one of those massive snakes that can eat a cow. He stuffed Hazita in his mouth and swallowed her whole. Just like, and she was gone. As you can imagine, Rhea completely freaked. My baby, she screamed. You, you just... She stopped here. Oh, wow, Cronus belched. My bad, sorry. Rhea's eyes bugged out. She screamed some more. She would have launched herself at Cronus and pummeled him with her fists or ordered her lion to attack. But she was afraid of hurting the baby that was now stuck inside him. Cuff her up! Rhea demanded. Can't, said Cronus. I have the super strong stomach. When something goes down, it doesn't back up. How could you swallow her? She shouted. That was our child, said Rhea. Yeah, about that. Cronus tried to look apologetic. Listen, babe, it wasn't going to work out with that kid, said Cronus. Work out, said Rhea. There was this curse. Cronus told her what Uranus had prophesied. I mean, come on, sweet cakes, that baby wasn't even a proper titan. She was trouble, I could tell. The next kid would be better, I'm sure. This sounded perfectly reasonable to Cronus, but for some reason, Rhea wasn't satisfied. She stormed off in rage. You'd think Rhea would never forgive him. I mean, your husband eats your firstborn child like a slider hamburger? Your typical mother isn't going to forget that. But Rhea's situation was complicated. First, Cronus had swallowed the baby Hazita whole. Hazita, like her parents, was technically immortal. She couldn't die, even inside her father's stomach. Gross! In there? Yes, a little claustrophobic. You bet, but Farrell, no. She's alive, Rhea consoled herself. I can find a way to get her back. That calmed down a little, though she didn't have a plan. She couldn't use force to get her way. Rhea was a gentle goddess, and even if she tried to fight, most of the strongest titans like Hyperion and the big dune Atlas would back Cronus up. She couldn't risk a sneak attack with knife for sight, or even her lions, because that might hurt a baby. Maybe you think, wait a minute, if the kid is immortal, why is Rhea worried about hurting her? You see, immortals 
be hurt badly, crippled or mutilated. An injury might not kill them, but they don't always heal from damage. They just stay crippled forever. You'll see some examples of that later on. Rhea wasn't about to cut open Cronus and risk chopping up her baby, because in being in pieces is no way to live, especially when you live forever. She couldn't divorce Cronus because nobody had invented divorce yet. And even if they had, Rhea would have been too scared to try. Can you blame her? As you might have noticed, Cronus was one nasty piece of work. Rhea had known that the fact he chopped up their dad with the scythe and then walked around after party with his eye stained shirt sounding, shouting, Awesome murder, guys! High five! She couldn't run because Cronus was the lord of the whole world. Unless she jumped wanted to jump into Tartarus, which she didn't, there was no place to go. Her best bet was to stick it out by the time and waited until she found a way to get Hazita back. Kronos tried to be nice to her. He bought her presents and took her out to dinner, as if that could make her forget about the baby in his stomach. When Kronos' third time had passed, like three or four days, he insisted that they try to have more kids. Why? Maybe he had a secret death wish. Maybe he became obsessed with Kronos' prophecy and wanted to see if the next kid would be a proper would be a proper titan or one of those horrible, too powerful, too perfect little gods. So Rhea had another baby, her little girl even too clear than first. Rhea named her Demeter. Rhea dared to hope. Demeter was so adorable, maybe she would melt Cronus' heart. She could, he couldn't possibly feel threatened by the bundle of jo- joy. Cronus took the child in his arms and saw right away that Demeter was another pa- goddess. She glowed with an aura even more powerful than Hazita's. She was troubled with the capital T. This time he didn't hesitate. He opened his jaws and swallowed her down. You screaming fit from mom? Show the apologies. Rhea was seriously tempted to call out her lions, but now the stakes were higher. Cronus had two kids in there. You know, you're thinking it must have been crowded, getting crowded in the Lord's God, but gods are kind of flexible about their sides. Sometimes they're huge, sometimes they're no bigger than humans. I was not there in Kronos' stomach, thankfully, but I'm guessing that the little immortal babies just made themselves small. They continued to mature, but they didn't get any bigger. They were like springs, wound up tighter and tighter, hoping that they would someday get to burst out fully grown. And every day, praying that Kronos wouldn't have hot sauce with his dinner. Poor Rhea. Kronos insisted that they try again. Well then, so well, uh, I don't think we can... Uh, let's leave it here with Hazita and matter, And we will talk about the third child that Kronos had in the next episode. Wait, if you want to know who the third child is. So then uh, we will find out who was the third child. Well then, I hope you like this episode. You can find me on Instagram at Adorate Nila Knight. And you can also read my blog at nilanight.blogspot.com. For those who are listening to this on Spotify, I have a po- I have this podcast on rss.com slash podcast slash Greek Mythology with Nila. Don't worry. All the links will always obviously be there in the description. I also have a YouTube channel, the gaming one. You guys can please visit there. I'll send the link of it in the description of this episode. Please share this podcast with friends and family. Helps me a lot. 
I look forward to meeting you in the next episode. So this is Nilla and I love this stuff.